Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, we just wanted to follow up that previously, Chris McCord had teased a new Fire logo announcement thing on X slash Twitter, you know, whatever you want to call it. The only text that Chris included was soon TM. And well, at the time of this recording, he hasn't shared quite what that is yet. So we don't have a big announcement to share here, but there is a little bit more fun discussion and a further tease that we wanted to share with you guys. So in it, it has a kind of like meme graphic. So I've got to describe a graphic audibly, but then we can talk about what it means because during the discussion, it was evident that there's a lot of people who are coming new to the community. They're not familiar with some of the things that have already happened here with Phoenix and LiveView in the past. So it's worth getting some context on as well. So we'll do that first. So in this graphic, it's like a a little meme graphic where a, a little Grim Reaper is visiting three different doors, where two different doors have already been opened and there's a little blood trail in the doorway indicates that whatever was there was killed. And then door one is labeled Pusher, PubNub, and Redis. Let's talk about what that means first. It's a common thing for people to misread PubNub. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, some people were like, oh, no, Redis, what are you talking about killing Redis? I love Redis. So I thought it was worth talking about what it is that Phoenix and LiveView have created an answer for. It's like they haven't killed it. Like these are still services that exist. So first, Pusher and PubNub are basically PubSub as a service. So it's like an external hosted thing like a service that you're actually paying for, where you can have JavaScript in your browser that's actually being able to receive PubSub updates from this server. So like, I know people like in the PHP Laravel community, right? They don't have WebSockets. They don't have the ability by default, right? Like that's not how it works. They don't have the ability to do PubSub being pushed from the server. And if you're hitting multiple different servers and you have an activity that's happening on a different server There's no clustering behind the scenes to make that happen. So they're using an external service like Pusher to be able to get those notifications down to the browser and have a a good UI experience. Phoenix has a feature called PubSub that was built in. And because Elixir can cluster multiple instances, so I can have multiple Elixir servers that can all cluster together and they are addressable to each other. So I can have an event happen on one server over here and it pub sub pushes the notification over to the other server where the user is that's able to talk to websockets directly to live view and push that notification down to the browser and and give them an update right there with phoenix and what elixir already comes built in with and the beam and with live view it kind of gave an answer for pusher pubnub and redis where redis was being used for pub sub right it's like saying Phoenix has killed the need for those services in the Elixir community. Mm. All right. So if someone else want to take door number two. Yeah. So REST, CureFQL, and SPA. My interpretation is this is all about LiveView, right? REST, GraphQL are kind of these layers of communications between a backend and the front ends. The front end being a single page application JavaScript app. And so with LiveView, you really just kind of eliminate that communication layer and LiveView handles that for you through all the stuff that Mark just talked about. WebSockets, message pushing, the cluster aware, you know, stuff is a, is a cool part of it, but not necessarily, 
you know, required for live view. Anyway, and so, yeah, like, that's a huge benefit of live view. And so, of course, the Grim Reaper visits that door, and now there's a whole lot less complexity in it for the Elixir folks using Phoenix and live view. The typical need for REST, GraphQL, and SPAs has been eliminated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not to say that those aren't useful in other scenarios. I still have REST controllers for things. I'm still using GraphQL for things. We still have SPAs for things. But if you're using LiveView to the max, you don't need it as much. Yeah. I mean, there were people being concerned like, what? We all use REST for everything. Like, yes, you're going to end up talking to an external service and they have a REST interface and that's how you talk to that service. Like, this doesn't kill your ability to have another service that uses REST. But there's blood under the door. (laughs) REST can never come back. (laughs) Just a paper cut. But it's true. You know, I I love that where the whole reason for a spa was to have that real-time, very fast, very responsive experience. But in order to do that, so you have like this whole JavaScript pipeline, different JavaScript frameworks, different JavaScript routers inside the spa so they can navigate around within there. You have to get state in there. So you have to have some API, right? You have to like either get it through GraphQL or REST. So I have to write those API layers. And how do I get that? And then I have to serialize that data to get it down there. And then I have to store it in the JavaScript front end. It's like all that stuff just, oh, it's just so much smoother. It's gone. It's not even like, oh, it's better. It's like gone. I absolutely love it. I haven't touched a spa or a REST API. Like I haven't coded one in years actually now. Consider yourself blessed. All right. And so the big thing, right? The meme. He's knocking on door number three. We don't know what door number three is, but he's got a mean looking scythe and he's ready to bring home the dead, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) We don't know what this is. Actually, he said soon TM, but he also followed up with a soon, soon TM. So it's very soon. (laughs) I don't know if there's a soon, soon, soon coming up or if he's just going to announce it. I don't know. By the time you're listening to this, it might already be announced. (laughs) So if that's the case, we will be sure to let you know if, you know, your primary way of following some of this is just to listen to us. We'll let you know. We think it's important. We'll share it. (laughs) But we did want to point out that the discussion thread was just fun because people are throwing around all these ideas and saying, oh, is it this? And Chris would say, no, it's not that. You want to go through some? Oh, well, okay, maybe. But (laughs) (laughs) there's just too many. Like, you can't cover all of them. There's so many of them. You can hit a few of them. But like, one of the things I would just want to point out is in that thread, Chris kind of gave a little screenshot of him working on a video about this. So we can expect that when the announcement comes and he's sharing it, there's going to be a video to accompany it to help demo or explain this. So that's something to look forward to. All right. Well, here's a couple of options sorted by how Twitter is giving it to me. (laughs) So PWA capability baked in the Phoenix. Chris says it's not that. So not PWAs. Progressive web apps. Yeah. Yeah. Something about live view native. No, probably not that. That's a separate thing. Client side state management with live view for offline support. No response. Don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there were questions on like SQLite databases and replication and lots of fun ideas. Oh, yes. Replacing like Kubernetes and AWS or something like that. No response there either, but probably not. (laughs) It's kind of Elixir and the beam and clustering. and Yeah, yeah. yeah, We're already there. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, go check out the thread. There's lots of guesses on there. We'll know soon. Okay, well, hey, moving on from what we don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on to something that we might know. 
Jose Valim wrote an Elixir Core proposal for adding local accumulators over on the Elixir forum site. So, keyword, proposal. This is not in Elixir. It's not even definitely going to land in Elixir. It's just being discussed. We got a couple of links to it, and this is not actually a new problem. This is just a proposal that's been revisited. They actually discussed it about two years ago with a different kind of solution. Again, may not be part of Elixir at all, but if it were, sounds like it actually might be an Elixir 2.0 thing. The proposal is about local accumulators. Jose, I think, had a streak a couple of years ago where he was comparing languages and how to solve common problems like data structure problems with different languages. And he came across a particular problem that was more difficult to do in Elixir. And so he's looking to make that easier. The problem is the nested data structures traversal. He's got a whole repo in there with examples. So if you really want to dive into it, the Elixir form threads can have everything. But when you have, well, an unknown amount of data structures that kind of go deeper and deeper and deeper, and you need to accumulate some values over that, it can get pretty ugly in Elixir code because you're having to deal with, well, the nature of immutability in variables and scoping. And so object-oriented languages typically are a little bit easier to solve this problem because, well, you just kind of instantiate a variable outside of the scope, and then you let your loops go loop, and it mutates that value that you instantiated at the top. That is basically the core of the proposal, is how do you do that in Elixir? And that is the proposal, is adding something called a local accumulator. It's a little bit of new syntax to indicate that this variable is, well, locally scoped, but is meant to be an accumulator for the use in loops. So currently, you might do value equals one, two, three, and then if true, do value equals four, five, six, end. Well, the value that you instantiated first is still one, two, three. The scope of it didn't really change. That nested little if true, then do a value equals four, five, six, that didn't really affect the first value, right? These are shadowing each other, you could say. That's what we currently deal with. And so with local accumulators, this new syntax, you would instead write at at value, those little at symbols, like kind of like a module attribute, at at value equals one, two, three. And then you do your nested things, like if true, do at at value equals four, five, six. And now that locally accumulated value is now going to equal and be rebinded to four, five, six. That's the idea. That's the problem that this is solving. If you have any research or opinion on how that would affect Elixir, how that would affect your problems, how that might be abused. (laughs) (laughs) There's a whole thread of contributors. I would encourage you to go to Elixir Forum and give some thoughtful, constructive feedback on the thread. And there's lots of other folks that have already given their opinions too. So join in on the conversation. Let's see what happens to this proposal. But I think it's a neat proposal to solve a pretty specific, I think a, a... common data structure problem. I personally haven't found it to be so obtuse to work around, so I'm fairly happy with what Elixir has now. But this nested data structures traversal problem is a bit more common when you're doing parsers, combinators, maybe data science kind of issues, probably machine learning, if I had to guess. It's probably a little bit more oriented to solve those kinds of issues in those domains. Anyway, go check out the Elixir forum thread. We'll see what happens. 
the issue I have is just like that whole knee jerk reaction is like, ah, you're putting mutability into my elixir code. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Yeah, it reads that way. But Jose does make it clear it is not actually mutability in the sense of like, oh, oh, mutability. That's not what's happening here. It's a bit of syntactic sugar around rebinding variables. So just to be clear, like those are kind of details that he goes into as well. Go check out the thread. Fly.io. It's a great place to run Elixir apps with many global regions, a private network that makes it easy to cluster your app and a powerful CLI. It's something you should really try out. Experience it for yourself at fly.io. Next up, Paul Copplestone from Superbase highlighted a newly released Elixir library called libcluster Postgres. So if you're familiar with libcluster, it's a way to cluster your nodes together and there's lots of strategies. There's like a DNS strategy or like an AWS tag strategy. And so here's a new one. You use Postgres. So he says the Postgres strategy for libcluster is used by Superbase on real-time supervisor not supervisor supervisor and log flare projects so it sounds like they're already using it in production and they decided to share it looks like they just needed a way for elixir servers to discover each other which is what libcluster does what's what it's good at and they use postgres as that common thread between all their nodes in their real-time services so I mean, if you cluster things together, you're probably already using libcluster or something like it. I know I know Phoenix, when you generate a new Phoenix app, it now comes with a different strategy that's a little more straightforward and it's maybe like fewer than 100 lines of code to get it all working. So it's nice and simple. But, you know, my first thought process was like, well, well, why do we need this? And then I thought, well, whenever I ship an Elixir app, it almost always comes with a Postgres connection. Doesn't matter what platform you're deploying it on. If all you had to do then was include this libcluster Postgres library and you just automatically get clustering, or maybe you're not even in the same region or you're not on the same infrastructure deployment platform, like if you're all connected to the same Postgres database, you can magically connect. So, you know, it's just another tool you can put into your toolbox for a way to cluster your servers if you need to. And next up, a new blog post walks people through translating NumPy code. So like that's the Python NumPy, translating that code in Python to NX, which is the Elixir library for numerical Elixir. And so it, it's a great resource, I think. It includes side-by-side examples and the author. Do my best with the name, Andreas Alejos. He discusses how to approach doing this type of translation. And what I think is interesting here is there are a ton of examples or libraries or code that's in the Python community, right? It's just been around for so long and so many libraries have been written. And like, if you're wanting to bring that code that that's already been written and, and it works, but you'd have to use Python to use it. If you want to bring that over to Elixir in your Elixir project, you have to figure out how to rewrite it. But because we have NX, we have a target we can go to. You just have to figure out like, how do I actually make this like one-to-one matchup happen? So it's a great resource for checking out something like that. All right, next up. Hey, it's Advent of Code season. If you don't know what Advent of Code is, it is a season of coding problems. The idea is that you try to learn a new language in a different programming language that you you know don't know through a series of common holiday-themed issues, right? So there is a website called adventofcode.com. There's a scoreboard. There are a set of problems with specific solutions only to you, to your account. So they're not universally applicable, right? You can't copy and paste your problem to somebody else because 
they have a different set of numbers and variables in theirs. So because of that, there's some boilerplate of setting up how to solve these problems efficiently. And so if you're interested in a starter kit of solving these admin of code problems in Elixir, there's a starter kit from Mitch Hanberg, creator of Next.ls. So we've got a link to his starter kit. It's a template project for Advent of Code in Elixir. There are 25 modules, 25 tests, and 50 mixed tests. 50 mixed tasks? What are we doing here? There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of mixed tasks. Yeah, I'm, I'm like I'm like two mixed tasks tops, but this one's got 50. <laughs> I think it's because like every Advent of Code day has a part one and a part two. So. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, and there's 20, 25 days up to Christmas. Got it. If you're interested in seeing how other folks are doing it. I think part of the fun here is like you try to figure it out, you do what you know, especially like learning other languages. This is a fun time to do it. So if you're interested in digging into Elixir and it's always fun to try to solve it and then go look at what other people are doing and see what did they use that you didn't know about. Maybe they did these fancy binary things you've never seen before where they're pattern matching on the length of the string. And it's just just like, well, I've never seen that before. You might check out notes.club which is a little live view front end. It's got live books organized by author likes and tags. And you can probably, I've never been there before. Can you just click a button to to pull it down into your live book? Yeah. Yeah. That's the idea. There's a, all these are live books found on GitHub and, you know, GitHub doesn't have a launch on live book button. And so this place has given you that button. Yeah. It makes it a little bit more streamlined. Yes, I think it's fun just because it's a, a resource like that would be handy for being able to search and share publicly accessible live books. You know, people are either showing this is how to use a library or this is how to do an advent of code. You know, just this is how I did it or how you can do it too and play with it interactively in code. And I, I think a resource like that would be great, like notes.club. Just as a heads up, if you're wanting to play with it, it does not use user accounts or anything like that. So I think it would be handy if it was linked to a GitHub user or something like that, because you can do a like to say, oh, I like this one, but there are no logins and there's nothing preventing you from just clicking like, 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 and just increasing the account. I wouldn't put any real credibility or weight into the like count because, you know, you can totally gameable. But it's still a great resource for being able to discover other people's live books, especially the advent of code time. You know, there's lots of people sharing stuff. Yeah. And speaking of Livebook, if you're wanting to do some advent of code work inside of Livebook, there is a smart cell called Kino AOC that will make it easier for you to import your accounts, your advent of code accounts data set. And well, just generally work with it because that's part of the boilerplate, right? So this is probably addressed in Mitch Hanberg's like starter kit as well in a different way, less live book oriented. This is a smart cell for pulling down and working inside of live book, which also has an Elixir editor, right? So we've got lots of ways to all tackle this advent of code stuff. And another live book smart cell for advent of code, there's two of them. (laughs) was shared that may be worth trying out. It allows you to read the problems, grab the input, submit solutions all directly from Livebook. And so that one's called SMAOC. (laughs) S-M-A-O-C. Smart M. Smart. I don't know what the S-M. Smart Cell AOC. Advent of Code, yeah. Oh, smart. Okay, S-M. Smart Cell Advent of Code. Smart Advent of Code. All right. Well, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, it's not S-C. Yeah. (laughs) So two options of 
making life easier in Livebook to work on your advent of code. Or go the old school style, pick up Mitch's uh, starter kit, go from there. Lots of ways. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.